Jessica remembers fondly these trips she took with her mom growing up. This Jessica grew up outside of Richmond, Virginia, and it was there that her mom instilled in her the love of thrifting. It was her mom's hobby. Two, three times a week, they would be at a thrift store or a Goodwill or something like it. And at first, like any child, you know, you just, you don't necessarily want to like what your parents like. And so she went because she had to. And then as she grew older, it became her hobby, just like her mom's hobby. So that even today, she goes to the thrift store two, maybe three times a week. I think I've been two, maybe three times in my life. So I don't know, I don't understand this, but... There she would be. Not only that, but she would go home and she would watch shows like Antique Roadshow. She had been, you know, born and, and grown up, developed to, to know how to thrift. And so she has developed this eye. She knows what's worthwhile and she knows what's not worthwhile. And so she was with a friend at a thrift store very recently and she saw a lamp that she knew this lamp is worth something. It's worth more than the list price, which is $3.99. Now, not $399, but $3.99. She knew it's got to be worth more than that. So she grabbed the lamp. She did not share it with her friend, but she grabbed the lamp. She took it home, and then she started Googling. Because there was this one word on it, and that word led her to, to know that this lamp was, had been uh, made in the 1940s. In Italy, she's like, this got to be worth something. So she called a local auction house. And they say, look, everybody thinks they've got something worth something. And she said, no, I think, I think this one is worth something. So a representative went down to her house and he said, you know what? I think you're right. I think this thing could be worth somewhere between thirty dollars and $50,000. And she said, that's a lot more than the $4 I spent. <laughs> the math is easy there. So she said, you know what? Let's put it up for auction. And she sat at her house and watched this online auction, and she watched it grow and grow and grow until this lamp sold for $107,000. Who would have thought that a $4 vase, a $4 candle, what did I call it, a lamp? I don't know, I can't read. <laughs> a $4 lamp found outside of Richmond, Virginia would be worth over $100,000. Sometimes it's not about where you find it that, that talks about the worth that something has. Well, I want to welcome you this morning. My name is Kale, and one of the ministers here, and we're so glad that you are here to start your Christmas celebrations with the family of God together. Because there is no better way than to start every week than here together, but I would also argue there's no better way to start Christmas than together. I remember a few years ago, we had Christmas on a Sunday, and we went, are we going to have Sunday services on Christmas? And somebody responded, uh, wouldn't that be the best day to have Sunday services than on Christmas Day? Because we fill our Christmas calendars with a lot of stuff, don't we? With our, the music and the lights and the parties and the presents and even the family. And it's all good, but none of that is what Christmas is all about. Christmas is all about Jesus. That's what Christmas is about. Jesus is the reason we celebrate this time of year. You thought I was going to say something that would make me sound like a dad, didn't you? <laughs> Not today. But for the third time, I want to welcome you, I want to invite you back tonight, that's three, 
to our candlelight service at 4 p.m., when we really put the bow on this season, when we've been thinking about the coming Christ this whole time, when we've been expecting his arrival, and tonight we will celebrate that at 4 p.m. together. Today, I want to invite you to open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 1, because in Luke chapter 1, we have the story, how this whole story starts. The story of Jesus' birth foretold, and it starts like this. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. I love this story and in part how Luke tells it because Luke is very specific. He is telling us about a specific time. This is the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. This is a specific place. This is Galilee. But more than that, this is Nazareth in Galilee. And Gabriel is going to a specific person, Mary. And not just any Mary, the Mary who is yet to be unmarried. She is betrothed to Joseph, but she's not married yet. This is very specific. This is not just for any time or any place, but for this time in this place that Gabriel goes. Now, a lot of times when we read Bible stories that we know that we, ha- we know, we've read a lot of, or maybe we've even seen on TV, we can, we can forget the details. We can kind of brush past what actually was. But in this story, for a minute, I want you to imagine this is a young girl, maybe 13, 14 years old. That's how old Mary would have been. Because that's the time that often that Jewish women would be pledged to be married. And so she's not, I don't know how you pictured Mary, but I always pictured maybe like a 20s, something, a young 20s, but she's not that. She's younger than that. This is, this is the story we get. And Luke tells us this story, and I think he gives us this order on purpose. Now, if we had gone back, there was just before this another birth foretold, and that was the birth of Jesus's cousin, John the Baptist. It was referenced, that's who Elizabeth is pregnant with. And in that story, it's very different because an angel goes and says, you are going to have a son. And he's going to be the forerunner. He's going to tell about the Messiah. And the father, in this case, Zechariah, expresses some doubts. And because of that, God mutes him. Zechariah is not able to say anything else for the duration of Elizabeth's pregnancy. Because he expresses doubt in the power of God. And because of that, God God gives him a consequence in this case. If you're going to say those kinds of things, then you're not going to speak, Zechariah. Mary is very different. See, Zechariah is a priest. Zechariah serves in the temple and he oversees the ritual life of Israel. He has a very important job. He is a person with resources. He has access to power. He's influential. And not only that, he is the patriarch. He lives in Jerusalem, which is the most powerful city of his day in there in Israel. Mary is very different. She's very young. She has no power. She has no position. She has no prestige. And she's not even married yet. She's not even linked to a family who might bring that. And not only that, she's not from Jerusalem. She's from some backwater town. Just like they will eventually say to Jesus, what good can come from Galilee? Just like Where might you find 
something worthwhile at a thrift store? Might you find something worthwhile in Galilee? Mary is very different than Zechariah, but her response couldn't be further from his response. And we'll get to that in a second. But I love Mary's story here because Mary's story might be your story. That you might feel like you are someone today, someone who doesn't have standing, who, who doesn't come from the right family, who because of maybe your own past choices, that's not Mary's story, but maybe you don't have, have moral standing in your community. You may not feel like you're just born on, on the right street, in the right town. And Mary's story is one that reminds us is that God will use anyone anywhere. Doesn't matter where you're born, doesn't matter who your parents are, doesn't matter your social standing, that God says, I will use you if you are willing to be my servant. God may just surprise you this Christmas season. The story continues. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Don't be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. You know, I think this is one of the most underrated lines in our scripture that says, Mary was greatly troubled. Because I don't know how you would feel in this circumstance. But when I read that this week, it reminded me of, of Home Alone. Because we watched it recently, because it's Christmas time, that's what you do. You still have time today. If you haven't got it in yet, you should this afternoon, before four o'clock, maybe watch that. But you know that scene when, you know, Kevin is very young and he's home alone and he's been afraid, just as most people would be. And you imagine that in this moment, he says, you know what? I'm tired of being afraid. I'm not going to be afraid anymore. So he goes out his front door and he declares to his neighborhood, I'm not afraid anymore. I'm not afraid anymore. And then he turns and he sees his neighbor just shoveling his sidewalk. And Kevin is afraid still. And Kevin turns and he runs and he dives under his parents' bed. He's still scared because there are certain things that happen, maybe being home alone or maybe an angel visiting you in the middle of the night, that you would be afraid. I don't know about you, by show of hands, has anybody ever had an angel visit that? Don't raise your hand. But, <laughs> but I haven't had that experience. I would, be, I would be greatly troubled. That's what it says. I'd be greatly troubled. I'd be like, I'm not sure what's happening here right now. I don't even know how to process this. But not only that, that's one reason that Mary's greatly troubled. The second reason is the message that the angel Gabriel delivers. You will become pregnant. Um, excuse me? This is greatly troubling to her. Listen, if a, if a young girl in our day and age got pregnant out of wedlock, it would be troubling. In her day and age, it's even more so probably. She, this is an honor-shame society, and there would be nothing that could bring shame more on your household than something like this. I mean, what is she supposed to tell her parents? Can you imagine? It's like the dog ate my homework, but way worse. God told me this would happen. This was, this was God's doing. How, how would your parents take that? This is a troubling message. Let's not just go past this because we know the Christmas story, but really 
take it in, what's actually going on here. See, the cost for Mary will be high. There will be the physical burden of bearing a child. There will be the emotional and mental burden of being shunned from family and friends and understanding how do I explain this. And at the end of all of this, she'll get to raise a child, which is also no easy task. But a lot of times we read this story and we see the good news in it, and there is good news here. The angel Gabriel comes and declares the thing that Mary and all Israelites have been waiting for. The Messiah is coming. The Messiah will be here. The Messiah that you've been waiting for to establish David's throne again will be here. You're going to bear that child. This is good news, but, but also it's got to be conflicting for Mary because it's difficult. Twice here in this verse, Gabriel says that Mary has been favored by God. It doesn't tell us why that is, though. It says, you are highly favored. There is nothing about Mary in a human sense that makes her highly favored. I mean, read your entire scriptures of what we know about Mary. She's just a normal person. She doesn't do anything extraordinary other than what God does through her, but she's just a normal person. So why would we consider her highly favored? Well, I think the story tells us. Let's go on in verse 34. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. Mary, I would, I would say, is puzzled. How will this be? Mary is young, but she is not dumb. She knows how it is babies are born. You know what I'm saying? She's saying, this isn't right. How could this possibly happen? And I love the question that she has here. She, she cries out to God's messenger as if to God himself. How will this be? I think you've been there before where you've cried out to God. Sometimes you, you maybe have cried that out in a positive sense. And, and, and something good has happened to you. You have received a blessing that you know is from God. And you say, man, how could this be? I, I don't deserve this, but thank you. How could this be? And far too often we save that, that phrase, though, for when things that are negative happen to us, right? Where, where maybe we get a diagnosis that we didn't want. Or we're passed over for the promotion that we thought we deserved. How can this be? God, where are you? How could this be? This is a question that I think is, is such a human question that it shapes our faith that reminds us that we're not in control. Mary here realizes that she was not in control, but God is in control. How can this be? And I love the answer that the angel gives. No word from God will ever fail. Or maybe your version reads, all things are possible with God. Through you, just like through Mary. God will be true to his word. And I love Mary's response to conclude this story. I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. See, unlike Zechariah, Mary's basically only response is, let it be, Lord. What you say goes in me. Let it be. 
See, if you read back to that story, it struck me as I was preparing this that Mary doesn't say very much. She asks, how can this be? Because I'm a virgin. And then right after that, she says, I'm the Lord's servant. Let it be. And I don't know about you, but I'd have a few more questions, right? Why me? Um, What did I do to deserve this? Uh, What do I tell my parents? Because they're going to have questions. Could you go appear to them as well? Because that would make my life a lot easier. Mary doesn't do any of that. Mary says, I am the Lord's servant. May your word be fulfilled. Mary here gives the declaration of trust in God. Even though it's going to be walking into an unknown path, she knows that she will not walk alone. Unlike Zachariah, she says, I'm the Lord's servant. May it be just as you have said. Mary cannot comprehend what this full message means because no Jew in her day understood who Jesus was called to be. See, they thought one thing about the Messiah, but they got a totally different thing. Mary would not have understood what she was saying yes to, but what we have here is the model of righteousness, that Mary abandons all of her questions, all of her concerns, and she names herself. She says, I am the Lord's servant, and she submits to God's word. Most of us, thanks be to God, will not have an experience like this, that God will not appear to us in in the middle of the night and declare something about our life. But we will all have moments that are similar. And what I mean is that there are times in your life that you have a plan, you have an idea, you have goals and things, and God will say, you know what? I have something different in mind for you. Now, if you're anything like me, sometimes I say, you know what, God? I've got some room in my plan for you. I wisely built that in, created some margin for you. And God says, that's not the way it works. You have to turn over your plan to me. See, I know that Mary had an idea of of what her life would be like. She had a life charted out with Joseph. And God said, you know what? I have a different idea for you. Your life is now in my hands. It's going to be different. And thanks be to God that Mary said yes. And it's because of her response that she is one who is highly favored. Because she says, I am the Lord's servant. That I think before that, that's when God knew, this is someone that I will put my favor on. And so this, on our fourth week here leading up to Christmas, this is the story of love. This is a story of God's love for us and shows us how we are called to respond to that love. This, this story first shows us of God's love for us. This is the moment that starts the incarnation of Christ. This moment that God steps into the world and says, I will be Emmanuel. I've been God on high. I've been God of Israel, but now I will be God with you. This is the start when God, God himself builds the bridge back to us. I will be with you. You can call me Emmanuel because I am always with you. And guys, he still bears that name today. Our God is still Emmanuel today. He did this because he loved us and he was trying to establish something far different. As as we read in Luke chapter one, verse 32, Gabriel said, he will be great and he will be called son of the most high. 
the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. And church, this is good news. That Jesus Christ said, that our God said, I will send my son, and I will establish his kingdom forever. And the good news is that even today, that kingdom exists. That kingdom, the one that's on the throne today, is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. A lot of times we can take our world, we can take our life as if he's not the one on the throne. We, we, we acknowledge that we live in this in-between time, that Christ has come and we are waiting for his return. But as faithful followers, we need to declare that we know who's on the throne even today. Because we know that that kingdom never ended. This is an act of love that God came and said, I will establish a different kind of kingdom. Not the one that, that my followers are looking for, but I'll establish something even greater. Greater than what you've known before. That's what we experience today. God sent his son out of love, as we know from John chapter 3. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Why did Jesus come to earth? I mean, God could have established his throne anyway. God could have done anything he wanted, and he wanted to show us what love looked like. He wanted to walk with us and to love us in person, to love us up close and personal. Sometimes we can act like we can think that God came to judge us or to condemn us, and, and certainly you might feel like that sometimes, but that's not why God came. God is here to love you. And so the question that we have this morning is, as we acknowledge the love that God has for us, we have to ask ourselves, how do we respond to that love? How do we live as someone who acknowledges that God has loved us? Well, like Mary, we are called to respond to love with love. We respond as Mary did in complete devotion. Mary's response is the perfect response for us. To name ourself and to say, I am the servant of God. May it be as you have said. I am the servant of God. Let it be, God. This is who we are called to be. This is why Mary is highly favored. Because she says, let it be as you have said. And so when God calls you to something, whether it be difficult or, or easy, to sacrifice a little or sacrifice a lot, the only response we have, the example of Mary, is to say, I am the Lord's servant. Let it be. It strikes me that in this story that Mary was a faithful person before this story happened. I think that's why God chose her. That she would have, in every Jewish sense, been, would have had a life of righteousness. She did not need, like others need, to be highly favored. That in her day and age, she could have lived a righteous life the best way she knew how. But she, like the rest of us, needed the Messiah. There are times in your life when God is going to call you to something. And you, you're going to think like Mary, or unlike Mary, I should say. I don't really need that. Because, see, I'm doing pretty good. So I don't need to give to this person or that person. I don't need to sacrifice a lot for others because I'm doing all right. In fact, God may call me highly favored. And what I love about this story is that Mary bears so much 
for so many other people. That Jesus Christ was going to enter into the world one way or another, Mary's the one that said yes. And not just for herself, but for all people. And you too may be called to bear something for someone else someday. One of my favorite stories I read this week about the Christmas season was about a church who right after Thanksgiving put out their nativity scene and they put it all out just like you know a nativity scene, except they didn't put a baby in the manger. And they did so intentionally. They said, we're not going to put the baby in the manger until Christmas Day because that's when we celebrate Jesus' birth. And so this is in a neighborhood. And so people, I'm sure, would drive by and they would walk by. And, and neighbors noticed that it looks normal, except there's no baby in the manger. So a couple days later, uh, one of the staff members got to work. And wouldn't you know it, there was a baby in the manger. I should specify a baby doll in the manger. And so they took it into the office. And when everyone from the church that worked there got there, they said, who put the baby in the manger? And they said, nobody. None of us did it. So they, they didn't put it back. They just let it go. And wouldn't you know it, two days later, another baby in the manger. And they said, okay, who did it this time? This is a, this is a funny joke, but, you know, we're not, we made a decision. We're waiting until Christmas to put the baby in the manger. Everybody up and down. We didn't do it. All right, so this time they went out there and they, they added a note to the manger. And they said, we appreciate the sentiment, but here's why we're not putting a baby in the manger. You'll see the baby on Christmas Day. Well, two days later, there was a doll twice the size in the manger. And that doll came with its own note. And it said, I understand, but nativities are supposed to have babies. So leave the baby in the manger. I think this, this well-meaning person, in one sense, has it right. Because we live in a season, in a day and age, this is what this season celebrates, is that we recognize that something is missing. That just like when Mary went to bed the night before, that whole world was dark. Something was missing. This is what we celebrate when we celebrate Christmas, is that in the midst of our dark world, is that there is a light that shines. And it's when Jesus the Christ said, I will come to my people. I will be Emmanuel for them. And if you have an ache this holiday season, it's because maybe you, you too lack Jesus. It's because you realize that there is something missing and there is, there is a hole in your life that will never be filled until Jesus Christ returns, until you are in relationship with him. And so as we close today, our shepherds and their wives will be around the room. And we want to invite you to get to know Jesus. If, if you don't know him today, we want to invite you to go pray with them and to start your journey in getting to know this Jesus. Because that's the only thing that will make you feel whole and complete. And we sing praises to him today. Because Jesus Christ did come and he will return again soon. Let's sing together as we stand.